Faith was a happy young woman. By all accounts I can find online, she was someone you wanted to be around, someone who could brighten up a room with just her smile. She was only 19 years old and a sophomore at UNC Chapel Hill when her life was tragically taken from her. It all begins on the 7th of September, 2012. Faith's close friend and roommate, Karen Rosario, found Faith in their off-campus apartment. Before all this took place, however, the two spent some time together on campus the day before. Faith attended a rush event for the Alpha Pi Omega sorority. This sorority was incredibly important to her, as it has a history of being a Native American sorority. Faith had hopes of joining it and becoming more in touch with her own heritage with the Haliwasapani tribe. Faith and her friend Rosario studied this tribe in the Davis Library at 8 p.m., and some hours later, they returned to their apartment. Not long after, they left again at midnight with close friends to hang out at a club called The Thrill, and arrived around 1 a.m. A short time later, Karen tells Faith she isn't feeling well. The two women were seen leaving the club on surveillance cameras at 2.06. Faith drove back to their apartment where Karina went straight to bed. Faith followed suit not long after. A neighbor of Faith reported hearing three loud thumping sounds at 3 in the morning. 40 minutes following this, a text is sent from Faith's phone to her ex-boyfriend, Brandon Edwards, saying, Hey B, can you come over here? Rosario needs you more than you know. Please let her know you care. At 4.16, Brandon texts Max and asks who sent the text, but there's no more activity on Faith's phone following that interaction. Around this time, Rosario's phone records indicate that she was trying to reach Brandon as well, but he did not answer. She ended up calling Jordan McRae, a soccer player for UNCCH, she knew. Rosario left the apartment with him around 4.25 that morning, saying Faith was asleep at the time. The door to the apartment was left unlocked. Rosario and Jordan drove to the home of an acquaintance, arriving about 4.30. The two spent the rest of the night there. That morning, Rosario tried to get in touch with Faith, but her phone was continuing to go to voicemail. Finally, Rosario called another close friend, Marisol Rangel, who drove her back to the apartment. Just after 11 a.m., they found Faith in her bedroom, partially nude, wrapped in a quilt, lying in a pool of blood under her head. Rosario immediately called the police. The records of Faith's case were sealed for some time, but following a wave of criticism, they were released. This included three main things. The initial 911 call, a note that was found at the scene, and a conversation that was recorded on Faith's phone, seemingly by accident. Starting with the 911 call, we can see this case has been under scrutiny for some time. Tom Gasparoli, a reporter from the News and Observer, wrote in 2017 that, quote, the whole call reeks of unusual. He reports that Rosario's friend Marisol was actually the one who placed the call. He notes the caller failing to state her name after numerous attempts from the operator and her referring to Faith as her friend rather than by her full name. Furthermore, if Rosario was on the phone, she never made mention of Marisol being there. He also made note of her reluctance to check and see if Faith was still breathing. This, however, seems like a moot point to me. I believe in that situation, the last thing I'd want to do is get closer to my possibly deceased friend. I say this just as a note that his criticisms should not be free from criticism. 
The next crucial piece of evidence was located near Faith's body. The next crucial piece of evidence was located near Faith's body. It was a note left by, presumably, the killer. The note read, I'm not stupid, bitch, jealous, and was written on the bottom of a takeout bag with a ballpoint pen. The bag is fairly common in many stores in the area where this takes place, but seeing as the restaurant timeout was the only one open at the time of Faith and Rosario leaving the club, it's been concluded this is where the bag came from. Peggy Walla, a former handwriting analysis expert and now private investigator, took a look at the note for Crime Watch Daily when they covered the case, and she made some very startling observations. First, she notes that the bag was totally clean, without a single drop of blood on it. As we said, Faith was found in a pool of her own blood and was killed by blunt force trauma. It would have been very likely this note would have some trace of blood on it, but it doesn't. This led many to believe that it was written before the fact, or somewhere else in the apartment. Tom Gasparoli, the News and Observer reporter we spoke of before, also noted that after talking with law enforcement, the note could have been read the wrong way. The words could have been intended to say, I'm not jealous, stupid bitch. Peggy Walla, on the other hand, believes the first phrase, I'm not stupid, was written because that was what caused the person who wrote it to snap. She even went on to say in the Crime Watch Daily coverage that she would use this word, that being stupid, constantly in an interview as a way to spur a reaction. Finally, she believes the note was written with the person's non-dominant hand as a way to disguise the writing. Tom has pointed out in her personal blog the writing of the word stupid, specifically the P in the word. He said, quote, It looks quite different, much more precise than any other left on the note. He later states that it could have been written by someone who was calmer and more intelligent than whoever wrote the other words. He's also said he believed it to have been written by a female. With male DNA being found at the scene, this would suggest more than one person being involved. Finally, we have the phone call that was recorded on Faith's phone after she pocket-dialed a friend. The police haven't stated whether or not they've had the phone call analyzed, but Crime Watch Daily enlisted the help of Arlo West, a forensic audio expert who analyzed the call, and he, as well as Faith's parents, believe it was Faith's final moments. With that said, some of the audio is disturbing. I've attempted to find the full voicemail, but all the links I follow are dead or redirect to an extension for Google Chrome. I implore you to do your own searching, however, and if you do find it, be sure to let me know in the comments section below. As far as what Arlo hears on the call, he claims to hear two female voices, one being Faith, and two male voices. Some of the things he says can be heard include, I think she's dying, to our next victim, and just throw it in the river. Perhaps the most shocking sentences he picked out, however, is a male voice saying, I can't believe you really did it, Rosie, and a female saying, to go help Eric. Arlo makes mention of these two names, and with that, makes connection to Rosario, whose nickname was Rosie, and Rosario's ex-boyfriend, Eric Takoy Jones. But Eric was not supposed to be anywhere near Rosario as she'd filed a restraining order against him two months before this murder took place 
following a domestic assault. Crime Watch Daily said the report stated two doors had been kicked from their hinges and Rosario was seen with bruises and marks on her body on numerous occasions. Furthermore, Faith was the one who took Rosario to get the restraining order put in place. As Faith's father said, I think that, very possibly, Takoy may have had some ill feelings against Faith for doing that. Later in the call, lyrics to the song Booty Work by artist T-Pain can be heard in the background. Some have concluded that this would mean Faith was still at the club when the call was recorded, but Arlo points out that the music itself can't be heard, and the voice that was captured isn't a match to T-Pain, meaning they weren't at the club at the time. Furthermore, Faith can be heard saying she feels like her hands are on fire, which would indicate them being bound which lines up with the autopsy report. One Redditor dismissed this theory, though, and deciphered the call themselves, and came to the conclusion that Faith, while at the club, tried to dance with someone's boyfriend, and this turned into a physical altercation. He says this in his post. Experts have deciphered the audio and transcribed something that I found completely implausible and self-fulfilling. Hearing unintelligible names that just happen to be connected to the case and strange gory details that don't make much sense about duct tape, hands on fire, throwing something in the river, and seems to insinuate that she is actually being raped and killed in the audio. And they didn't seem to notice that half of what they were hearing were the lyrics to the music playing in the club. From what I've seen online, others feel the same way. No one can hear what they heard. Furthermore, many have pointed out that Arlo's depiction of events doesn't make sense. Faith's time of death was around 4 in the morning. The call was recorded at 1.23 a.m., which would place Faith and her friends at the club at the time of the phone call. But Arlo has brought up numerous reports of voicemails for iPhones not lining up when the call was placed. Many of these reports to Apple and online help forums started around the same year this case took place. Arlo's findings were given to the police, but from what I can find, nothing has come from it at this time. Parabon Nano Labs, a genetic testing company in Reston, Virginia, created a DNA snapshot using the semen found at the scene of Faith's murder. With it, they released this image on an episode of ABC's 2020. The snapshot shows a young man with what's been called an olive complexion, with brown or hazel eyes and black hair. They also report that the man has very little to no freckles. Finally, they say that he would be of Latino descent, with many of his genetic markings pointing to Colombian and Mexican heritage. Faith's case isn't being described as a cold case simply because it's being very actively investigated. Chief Chris Blue stated, It's never been a cold case, when talking with Tom Gasparoli, the reporter we mentioned before. With that said, Chief Blue also stated they don't have a concrete suspect, but after interviewing 2,000 people and issuing a DNA test on 750 of them, they've narrowed it down to 10 suspects. None of their names have been released. Chief Ballou also has never made mention of there being a belief that multiple people were involved. Some focus has been placed on Rosario, given the nature of the 911 call and the texts that were sent the night of this murder, but Chief Blue told Tom that she'd been very cooperative. 
This was as recent as 2017. Tom also said he believes the police think Rosario may have more information than she is leading them to believe, though I want to make it clear that these are Tom's claims and not that of Chief Blue. Faith's case has sat unsolved for over seven years now, and it seems that all leads seem to go nowhere. Police are offering a $40,000 reward to anyone with information about the Faith Hedgepath case that leads to an arrest. As far as contacts, you can get in touch with the investigators at 919-614-6363. Police say that if you get the voicemail, be sure to leave a detailed message with a callback number. You can also call the Chapel Hill Carborough UNC Crime Stoppers at 919-942-7515 or at the email www.crimestoppers-chcunc.com. Org. It will also be in the description along with all the sources used for this video.